Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Great guys. What a wonderful privilege it is to be here. If you don't know who I am, my name is Vian, I'm the pastor, and it's an honor and a privilege to be here tonight. If you're part of the congregation, you know that that is what I say, and that is how you start with the sermon. But before I begin, let me just open for us in prayer. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for the body of Christ, Lord, that we are not called, Father, to just sit, Lord, and observe, but to actively follow you, Lord. Thank you for each and every gift, Lord, that you activate for the grace given, Father, to do what you've called us to do. Thank you, Father, that when we look around us, Lord, we see active people following you, Lord. It stirs faith, Lord, and it encourages us to love and good works. Thank you, Jesus, that you set the example. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the one that enables, Lord. But we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Not to lift up our own lives, Lord, not to live our best life now, not to get all of the things this world has to offer now, but to be witnesses to the name of Jesus. To endure suffering, Lord, to go through persecution. And with joy, Lord, because we know that it's for the name of Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Father, for your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So a lot of the words and the songs that we sung just confirm you know, the message of tonight. Belene almost preached my sermon and then she stopped. So let me go on where she, where she left off. So our title for tonight is Rest for the Weary, Yoking with Jesus. Rest for the Weary. And then I spoke a, a while back at Worship Westerland about the same topic and there's a specific interesting time of the year where a lot of people focus on this topic of rest. You know, let me see who's, who's going on vacation in of the year. Let's see some hands. Yeah, Mariela. Sorry. Some of us are not. From Oogd and Erika, you're on vacation. You're pensioners. But Oogd works all this week. But it's a time of the year where a lot of people focus on rest and inevitably whether you're going away, whether you're staying here, keeping the plant running, producing petrol for the people that drive down to, to the ocean. Either way, it's a time of the year where we reflect on rest, what rest is, what rest means, how do I get rest, where is it found? And I know we're sitting in church now and you're looking to a guy with a mic. We have our, our Bibles and our notebooks out, but I'm going to ask you a question, but just for a moment, if possible, forget where you are. Because we want to give the, the, the biblical answer, obviously. Very sondagskoantwoord. I know that this isn't actually what I do, but I'm going to say it now because I'm in church. I know it's the right answer, even though I don't practice it always. Are you with me? And the question that I want to ask us is when you think about rest, what comes to mind? When you are weary, when you are carrying those burdens, when you are depleted, when you need rest, as you gaap soos germe in a dag gaap. Lekkie, en soma uit jou masker uit gaap, jy weet, daai moeg. And Selna tells me, I only woke up at about 11 this morning. 
te veel slaap maak jy ook moeg. Maar die type moeg. What do you do? What comes to mind? If you, if you have this weekend off, or this day off, or, or this time spent, where do you run to? And again, we know what the answer should be. But I'm not asking you to look at the Bible. I'm asking you to reflect on your own life. When you look at reality, what does reality say? Where do you go? What do you do? Where do you, where do you spend time? Where is it that you run to? Important for us to answer that question. Some of us immediately, as we began to reflect, we somehow wanted to repent immediately, but wait till the end. We'll do it then. But also the world gives us an idea of what rest is, what rest means, and there's different types of rest. Obviously, we are knit together in a different way. We are not just a body walking around that grows tired physically, but soul and spirit. Sometimes we need that rest as well. Sometimes we are depleted there as well. And the world wants to tell us that the way we rest is by sitting passively somewhere, or by doing something a little bit different. Forgetting, it's a kind of a distraction of the fact that we are weary, that we are tired, that we are carrying heavy burdens, that we are depressed, anxious, worn out. And when January, February comes, we're tired again, we're worn out again, we're depleted again, or not again, but still. Why? Because we haven't dealt with the root. You see, there's something that you are carrying, there's a way that you are living, and there's certain things that you are believing that causes that thing to grow. That's why you are always weary, why you're always depleted. And as you reflect on your own life, maybe that's true. You know, there's this phases. I seem to find myself every now and again worn out. And the Bible gives us an idea of rest. A well-known verse, for those of you who haven't heard it, beautiful passage of scripture. In Matthew 11, verse 25 to 30. And it begins like this. It says, at that time. Jesus prayed this prayer. And I want us to remember that words. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. So the, the writer is telling us something just happened. There's a context here. This passage didn't just fall out of the sky. It doesn't stand on its own. It's not secluded. But it's in a certain context. Something just happened. Jesus just said a couple of words. And there's a certain scenario that just played out. And then this passage follows. And we'll look at the context of it just now. But it said, at that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Jesus says, this thing that I'm about to share, what's happening here, isn't something to primarily figure out. It's something to receive by faith and to obey. It is something to experience, not to make sense of. You have to live this out in order to understand what is happening. Yes, Father, it, was, it pleased you to do it in this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father. And no one truly knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So it's about, about knowing Jesus. And then the next verse, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. 
beautiful passage. Jesus inviting those who are depleted. He's inviting those who need rest. He's inviting those who carry these heavy burdens. And he's saying, come to me. And as we just reflected on what we do when we need rest, I also want to ask us to reflect just for a moment. How are you doing at this moment? Body, spirit, soul. How are you doing? Are you rested? Are you energized? Are you ready to go? Are you a bit depleted, a bit worn out? And when you reflect on your life, do you find yourself depleted every now and again? It just doesn't seem to last long. And obviously physically we will get tired. And I'm not saying because we are not supposed to, I don't know if you know this, to work until we're tired and then rest. Something me and my wife know well, but we don't always practice that so well. And some of the leaders of show the external leaders, had to speak to us about that as well. Take it easy. Something we know, but we fail to do many times. You see, because Adam was created on day number six, at the end, there's Adam. And it was night and it was morning, the seventh day. And what happens on the seventh day? You rest. So Adam's there. Yes, you're Isaac. What do I do? I say, no. Grab a chair. Let's sit. Let's sit and chat. But I'm ready to work, Lord. I says, no, we don't work until we're tired and then we rest. But we work from rest. We don't go until we're depleted. We don't go until we're worn out. But from a place of rest, in the presence of God, we do what we're called to do. Like Jesus. He never ran somewhere. For the joggers, just walked. He was never rushed. Wrong time, why? Because he regularly spent time in the presence of God. And from that place of rest, he ministers. He knows where to go. He doesn't make that mistake. He doesn't step out of line. He doesn't do something that he shouldn't have. And now all of a sudden he has to rush to get things done. No, no, no. Out of that place of rest, Jesus ministers. So where are we at this moment? Where are you when it comes to rest? And there's three things we need to answer and ask about this passage of scripture. And that's the first Jesus idea of rest. <clears throat> it sounds strange in the beginning, you know, lay down the burden. Yes, makes sense. Come to me. Yes, makes sense. Take my yoke upon you. And we're like, but wait, Lord, I was working, doing something, going to give rest. You see, so we see the idea that Jesus has about rest is an active rest. It's not a passive rest. It's not just sitting somewhere doing nothing. No, but there's an impartation. Learn from me. Allow me to teach you. Receive my words. Take my yoke upon you. Let us work together. And let me place a burden on you, but it's a burden that is light. There's something that actually happens there. The second question that we need to ask is why are we constantly tired and worn out? What is this burden that we are carrying? Why do we get depleted? And thirdly, how do we come to Jesus? If he says, come to me, how does that look? How does that happen? How do I do that? Where do I go? How do I, do, how do I receive this rest? We need to answer those questions. And firstly, the heavy burdens and the weights that we carry is every single idea we believe that influences our way of living that is out of line with God's word. Any idea we believe, any concept that we have that influences the way we live, that was not given by God. That is a heavy burden. That is a weight. A different definition of that is sin. 
to miss the mark, to not align with God's word, to, to be busy with stuff that he has not called us to be busy with. We're missing the mark. We're out of line with the purposes of God. When we live for the approval of man, you know, we live in a generation where people are so obsessed with what people think that most people have no idea who they are. Constantly molding, shaping, forming to the opinions of the people around them that they don't know who they are, what they like, what, what is my passions, what am I called to do? I know what I think the people around me expects of someone. But when asked the question, who are you? It's difficult to answer. Almost lets me think about Kung Fu Panda there for a while. Who, are, who am I? Yes. But who are you? Lack of identity. And if we don't live for the pleasure and the approval of the people around us, we live for our own pleasure, goals and opinions. And the problem with that is the moment I find the definition of success in myself, then I need to be the source that makes that happen. Are you with me? If I set the goal, then I need to make that happen. That is a heavy burden to bear. The ideas and the goals we arrive from any other place than God, we should make that happen. I am now the source that should enable what God has called us, what he hasn't called us to do, but what I have set up for myself to do. I need to go and do that now. And then obviously Hebrews 12 verse 2, let go of every weight and sin that clings so closely, but let's run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Weight and sin. The sin that clings so closely. And we know what those things are. We go to God and we say, hey, Lord, show me those things in my heart that's not right. There it is. Anyway, doesn't take long. The heart starts beating, looking around. God says, let's deal with that. But we need to bring it to him. We need to take it to him. We need to lay it down. But it's not difficult to figure out what those things are if we approach God and ask him. He will show us. And now another thing that we need to conclude from this passage of scripture is that if we are tired, if we are weary, if we are carrying these heavy burdens, we're either not coming to Jesus, or when we come to him, we are unable to receive what he wants to give. If we are tired, we are not coming to Christ. Or when we come, we are unable to receive. We're kind of seeing this picture of someone running to Jesus and he says, let me place my yoke upon you. And he receives the yoke and then he starts to run. But Jesus said, hey, I want to go in there with you. I want to do the work with you. I'm the one that enables that. You don't have to go and do that on your own. Because many times it's good things that weigh us down, but we're trying to do it on our own. God wants to enable that. When he gives the vision, he enables what he has called us to do. But we have to conclude that. If you are tired tonight, you're not coming to Christ. You're not receiving what he wants to give you. You're not allowing him to teach you. You're not allowing him to take that burden off, to place that yoke on you, to give you that burden that is light. Because it's not like Islam or Hinduism or the modern day self, self-help movement. It's not this four paths or pillars to peace or ten steps to, to rest. Jesus himself gives rest. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will give it to you. I won't give you a plan and you need to go and do that on your own and then you will receive rest. No. I will give you that rest. Nothing you have to do on your own. But if we are with Christ, if we are coming to him constantly, if we receive what he wants to give, we 
will receive rest. So let's look at one of the big burdens of the ages that we live in. It looks as follows. Ecclesiastics 5, verse 10 to 16. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he comes from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil, that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? What gain is there for him who toils for the wind? Running after something that you can't grasp. Seeking this thing that should give fulfillment, but it simply can't. And to put it on different words, what scripture is saying to us is how burdensome trying to find fulfillment in something that was never meant to and by definition cannot sustain and fulfill. How burdensome trying to find fulfillment in something that wasn't meant to and by definition then cannot sustain and fulfill. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more money. Just, just one more. Just one more house. Just one more this. Just one more that then. The next version of that thing. Just one more. And soon the smell fades, like Maria shared in his sermon as well. How quickly we run after these things and find that vanity, chase after the wind, cannot sustain. And this is what a life looks like that isn't close to God, chasing after things that is not God, that He hasn't given to fulfill us. He's given to build his kingdom, to give glory unto his name, and for us to enjoy as well, yes. But not to find fulfillment in, not to find joy in, not to find rest in. That's not why God gave those things. And the list goes on. Wisdom, honor, possessions, pleasure, all the things the preacher lists in Ecclesiastic. Vanity, vanity, says the preacher. This, this doesn't sustain, they don't fulfill. And as you are sitting here tonight, ask the question, Lord, what are the things that I'm carrying? What are the things that I'm chasing? What are the ideas of success that I've gotten from the people around me that I'm not supposed to chase, that I'm not supposed to find fulfillment in? And allow God to work with that and shift your hearts back to him because that's where the problem rise. Because the root of all of this is summed up in the following verse. Galatians 1, verse 10. It's Paul speaking about the proclamation of the gospel. And he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, what Paul is busy saying, if I was still trying to please man, I wouldn't be able to follow God. 
I cannot come to Jesus with the burden of approval of the people around me. I need to lay it down if I want to come to him. If I want to follow him, I cannot follow people as well. And whether the man is the, the people around you, or whether that man is yourself, nonetheless, the approval of man must fade away so that we can live for the pleasure and the approval of God and allow him to come and shape our lives. We read in John 10, like in John 12, you can go and read it. It was 46 around. And it says a lot of the religious leaders and people started to believe in Jesus and they saw something in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't follow because they loved the praise of men more than they loved the praise of God. That is the root. We see the same in the life of Saul, 1 Samuel 15, 28. Saul speaking, and we saw in the beginning of the year this contrast between Saul and David. David, a man after God's own heart. They tried to please God in everything. Yes, he sinned greatly, but he returned to God, repented, and humbled himself before God and before man. Because it wasn't about the approval of people. But when Samuel goes to Saul in 1 Samuel 15, and he said, yes, you disobeyed the word of God. And Samuel said, yes. Saul said, yes, I disobeyed because I feared the voice of the people. I live for the approval of man. That's why I did what I did. The apostles were killed because people lived for the approval of man. The gospel was not proclaimed because people live for the approval of man. Jesus Christ was killed because Pilate yielded to the approval of man. As the crowd shouted, crucify, crucify. Jesus died because men live for the approval of people. And he wants to come and change that, saying that he is the one that sustains and fulfills. But lay down the approval of the people around us. And also when we live for the pleasures and goals and passions of ourselves. That is why Jesus was killed. And now here again, just to make it practical for us, when we look at this verse, Galatians 1.10, and we ask ourselves, okay, but whose approval are we living for? Are you living for the approval of man or of God? And it's easy to see again when we reflect the reality of our lives because if I'm living for the approval of God through repentance I lay down the ideas of man and I actively seek the will of God See, so if you're here tonight and you say that you're living for the approval of God you need to be able to answer the question but what does God expect of you and if you can't then at least something in you should say but I'm actively seeking what God expects of me because if I want to live a life that is approved by God, then I'm seeking the will of God. Amen? Are you with me? But I can't say, Lord, I want to please you with everything in me, but there's nothing in me that pursues you or wants to know what you have called me to do. There's nothing in me that desires to know the God who saved me. But a life lived for the approval of God seeks God with everything in him. And if God reveals Stuff to us tonight, we have to conclude then. Okay, now we've seen these heavy burdens, what they are, how they cling so closely. We've seen the root of them. Now the question, how do we come to Christ? Now to put this passage into context, <clears throat> this is just after Jesus sent a report to John the Baptist. And Jesus gave an analogy of the generation of his time. 
and says, John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking. You said, he is crazy. He has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. You said, he is a drunkard and a glutton. He said, we played the harp. You didn't dance. We played sad songs. and You didn't mourn. In other words, you are satisfied with nothing. No matter how we approach you, no matter what we say, you are not satisfied. You're living for your own pleasure and your own approval. And then we read Matthew 11, verse 20 to 25, just before Jesus prayed that prayer. And it says, then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. That is how you turn to Christ. That is how you come to him. What sorrow awaits you, Gerizim and Bethsidia? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, the people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you, people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on judgment day than you. And then scripture says, and then Jesus prayed this prayer. Thank you, Lord, for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and revealing them to little children. You see the passage in the context of coming to Christ is in the backdrop of a generation that is satisfied with nothing and they call to repentance. That is how we come to Christ. That is what the wise and the clever can't understand. The inability to humble themselves and lay down their things before Jesus and receive what he has to give. To receive the teaching that he wants to impart. Receive the yoke that he wants to give. To receive the burden that he wants to place upon our shoulders. That is how we come to Christ. You see, we read in Acts 3 verse 19. And it says, repent so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And I know I've said it a couple of times this year, but I want to say it again. Repentance is a beautiful thing. Repentance is not a hard thing. Yes, for the proud, it's difficult. Yes, for the pride in us, it's difficult. It's not nice. But when we think about what repentance is, it is a gracious thing. To go to God and because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, when I repent, I receive what I don't deserve because Jesus received what I deserve. That is death and judgment. When I repent, I receive grace and mercy. Repentance is not a heavy thing. Yes, our pride doesn't like it. But what a wonderful thing to go to God and know when I speak that words, Lord, forgive, I'm forgiven. When I say, Lord, I lay it down, it's laying down. And when I say, Lord, lead, reveal, it doesn't say, no, now you have to prove yourself first. Because in Christ, I stand approved before God. You see, that is rest. That is rest, not trying hard on your own to figure these things out and to make it happen, but to know when I repent before God, I stand before him approved because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. That is where we find our rest. That is how we come to Christ, by laying down these ideas that we have. And I want to challenge us, you know, even in our repentance, I do it many times. I want to soften it. I do it with Robin as well when we speak about the things we, we get wrong in marriage. And then I say to her, yes, I sometimes. And she says, no, don't say sometimes. Just say you do it. Yes, I know I sometimes don't listen. 
Sometimes I'm selfish, Lord, and I know I struggle a little bit with this, and if you can forgive me then a little bit. No, no. Just say it as it is. Allow God to give grace. Have the humility to come to Christ and to say, Lord, I struggle with this. Lord, I carry this. Lord, I'm living for this. These are the ideas that I have that I know I shouldn't have. It doesn't align with your word. Forgive, Lord, renew and restore a spirit of uprightness in me. Cleanse my heart, Lord. Just say it as it is. God will forgive. He already knows, by the way. And he wants to forgive. That is why Jesus gave the invitation. Jesus was like, Father, must I really now give rest to these people? No, he wants to. God does what he does because he is who he is. That is the character of God manifest. I want to give rest to those who come to me. You see, to sum it up, and it sounds strange to us when we look at it this way, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14, this is the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, when everything is vanity, vanity, vanity. Everything is a chasing after the wind. And then it ends like this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commands. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. But this is the end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands. And again, we don't understand the grace of God. We don't understand the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. This sounds like quite a burden. I should fear God and do everything he tells me. Man, that sounds burdensome. No, no, no. This is for you who find rest. That's why I say, Lord, thank you that you, you, you hide these things from the wise and those who think themselves clever. Because this is not primarily something to understand, but it's something to experience as we follow God in obedience. Lord, it doesn't make sense. And sometimes the thing that you tell me to do and the burden that you lay upon my heart feels heavy. But the moment I step out in obedience, what joy and what freedom. Something that Werner has testified of a lot lately. If I can encourage you after the service, you just want to go and speak and hear the experience of radical obedience to Christ and the joy that God gives, go speak to Werner. He's sitting there with that blue jacket. Werner's thinking, but it's a glorious thing that God does. And it doesn't make sense in the beginning, but it's not something to make sense of. It's something to experience as we follow God in obedience. Jesus said a little bit differently. He says it here in John 3, verse 36, but he echoes the same words. Just after, 20 verses after John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus just explains what it means to believe. And he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. So Jesus says, belief and faith equals obedience. We don't obey so that we can be saved, but when we, we are saved... And when we place our faith in Christ, obedience follows. And Jesus says, unbelief is marked by disobedience. I can't say, it doesn't make sense. Lord, you are the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the name above every name. And I believe it with all my heart to such an extent that I'm not going to do what you say. See, that doesn't sound right, eh? No, but Lord, if I say you're the king of kings and Lord of lords, then I obey the words of God. 
And the beautiful thing is when God says something, I mean, God commands something, he's the one that enables that. He's now the source that I look to, to enable what he said. I no longer look to myself. Same with the disciples. Go and make disciples of the nations. I mean, that's quite a call. But then he says, but go and wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. I will enable what I've called you to do. You don't need to look to yourself. You don't need to carry that burden. But I will bring to fruition what I've called you to do. You just need to lay down what I did not give you to do. And you need to allow God to teach you so that you can shift the wrong ideas that this world has given you about what pleasure, success, and meaning is. Vanity. The pleasure that this world has to offer. Fleeting. And in light of eternity, it does not make sense. And I want to play a quick video for us that just describes this so well. Jesus is calling us to shift our focus and our attention. The world has given us an idea of rest and what it means to live in pleasure, what it means to be successful. And then God says something a little bit different. He summed up well in the following video. The great thing about having people like Francis Chan around is when he calls people stupid, you let him do it. You don't, you don't do it. You don't say it. You let him do it. And I want to challenge us with that. And I think a lot of us have seen that illustration. And again, we know that is true. And again, we know we should come to God. But what does reality reflect when you look back at your life? How much time do you actually spend just sitting at the feet of Jesus? Now, there's this wonderful song by Telecast, and it sums up the sermon quite well. It says, remember, repent, and repeat. Come fall at the Savior's feet. That is Christianity. Remember, as I go on and I feel this heavy weight setting in again, I feel myself getting tired again, I remember. This is not what God has called me to. I repent. And then I repeat. Because it happens again and again. I want to ask us as we're sitting here tonight, what is it that God has called you to? You see, because you can go and do a, a lot of good things in your own power, but if it's not something that God has given, it's not a yoke that he's given, it's not a burden that he's given, then it is vanity as well. You see, many of us, we know the passions that we have. We know the desires that we have. We know the vision that God has given us. You know, some of us saying, God has called me to do this, to start this, to, to do that, to disciple someone. I just don't know how. I don't have the vision. I don't know where to begin. And what would be really sad if we come here January and we still don't know because we didn't sit at the feet of Christ and we didn't wait and wait until God spoke so that he can come and give clarity, so that he can come and give vision. And when he speaks, he gives grace so that we can repent, take that burden off, let go of that idea that doesn't align with scripture and receive what he gives. And as we follow, he will give rest. But as we go through this time, may we reflect on our own lives and may we be diligent to praise him to Christ like never before, to be still at his feet and allow him to come and align and shape us. Because the world wants to tell us, invest in the little red part. That is going to tire you out. Not only is it going to deplete you, it has no value. Come eternity, it's gone. It's a fleeting pleasure. It's a lie. It's a deceive. It's the devil that sells you that. There's no pleasure in that. But God wants to come and truly fulfill, truly sustain 
truly give rest. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come to you tonight, Father. We can lay ourselves down, Lord. And when we say come, Father, may the words echo in the back of our minds, Lord, that what that means is to let go, Father, of what you have, haven't given, Lord. To set aside, Lord, what you did not teach. But to align ourselves, Lord, with what you've called us to, Father, and to believe the words that you say, Father, the words of Scripture. Truth, Lord, your word is truth. And yes, Father, I pray, Lord, in a world that firstly comes, Lord, and deceives us, Father, with the pleasures around us, Lord. I pray, Lord, for the grace to give us the revelation, Lord, that that is empty systems, Father, it can hold no water. No matter how much water we point to that glass, it cannot keep it. It is broken. It doesn't work. And thank you, Lord, that we can come and break down the lie, Father, that there is some God in heaven that doesn't want his sons and daughters to enjoy this life. Oh, but you came to give life and life abundantly, Lord. And give us grace, Lord, when the lie comes, that we can see, Lord, and deal with that. Thank you that we can believe your truth, Lord, that following you, Father, there's no greater joy, no greater pleasure, Father, than following you, Lord, no matter what this world throws our way. You've overcome this world, Lord. You've given peace and love. And I pray, Lord, that you just come and reveal in hearts, Lord, what are the things that we need to let go? What are the things that we find pleasure in? Lord, what are the things that we run to, Father, to get rest that isn't you? And thank you, Lord, that when you come and reveal, you give grace for us to lay those things down, to repent, Lord, and to turn to you. There we are standing. If God has laid something in your heart, whether it's an idea that you have, whether it's a thing that you're chasing, an idea of success that you are pursuing, whether it's something that you're trying to find resting that isn't given by God, won't you just, there you stand, won't you just lift your voice to God, repent of that thing and turn to Christ. As you reflect on your life, maybe you see that you're also investing in this little red part and all the things that you think about and are consumed about and you're planning for and saving for and doing stuff for is just this little red part. Just there you're standing. Why don't you just lift your voice to God? Repent of that and ask him to come and give you an eternal perspective. To come and show you what he's called you to do. And like scripture says, let, allow him through the spirit to come and show you the things that he has planned for those who love him, the age to come. How wonderful it will be. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness, Father. Thank you for every heart, Lord, that turns to you tonight, Lord. Thank you for every burden that is laid down, Lord, every wrong idea that is confessed, Lord. Thank you for the grace given, Lord. And I come and pray, Father, as the world, Father, constantly shouts at us to keep busy and to keep running, Father that we would be intentional to sit at your feet, Father, and to wait and to wait and to wait until you speak, until we hear your voice, Lord. And thank you, Father, that we know, Lord, that when we sit, Father, and it's difficult for us to hear your voice, Lord, and it feels that you haven't spoken. It's because you already said something that we tend to and haven't repented of, that we haven't laid down, that we haven't confessed to a friend that we haven't reached out to, forgiveness that we haven't given, reconciliation that hasn't happened. And thank you, Lord, that we know, Father, that you are God and we don't negotiate with you. But what you say, that is that, Lord.
And thank you, Lord, that we can know that whatever it is that you call us to, Father, to repent of, to lay down, to go and confront someone in love, Lord, to forgive someone, Lord. Whatever it is, we know that it's a loving Father who came to give life and life in abundance. And you want your children to walk in freedom. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.